0: the network for the AV industry.
1: What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This.
0: this.
2: This.
1: This is, is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.
3: A
2: state of control. A state of Control. This is A State of Control, episode 16, recorded Tuesday, December 23rd, 2014. Be lazy. This is A State of Control, the monthly podcast put on to you by the fine folks at Aviation. Nation. My name is Tim Albright. Uh, welcome. Uh, this is the December episode. Uh, uh, a bunch of us are kind of... Uh, gearing down and you're know, slowing down it's the week of christmas uh one person who is not as rich Fergosa, because the man doesn't know how to say no uh to clients he's that he's that and he's that darn good how are you sir
0: Good, am good mellow what is it mellow west coast christmas greetings mellow so, uh, mellow mellow yeah yes. we're trying yeah normally uh normally we try to shut down this year I, i'm just gonna say that i'm just hoping that it just means things are turning around so that we were, people made us offers we couldn't refuse. So. According to a
2: recent uh, a recent report, the the uh, what was it? The U.S. economy grew uh, at, a, at a higher rate than it has in the last eleven years. So, it may be turning around, dude. So, we'll take it. All right. Not that not what we're talking about on this episode. But hey, you know we'll we'll, we'll hit it again. Uh, also with us is David Barnett from the Sextant Group. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing great. Good.
2: I, I told David, if you're watching the video, he's the most bearded consultant I've ever met in my life. So it's a very impressive uh, follicles there. So, uh, and last but not least, the host and producer of this episode and every other one is Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing great. Great, great to be on and great to be back uh, for another interesting episode.
2: Uh, this will be very interesting. Um, okay, so here th- – th- I'll just put it out there. This episode – is about code so similar to last episode where we talked about modules and you know this that if you're not a programmer you may not want to listen to this one it may bore the heck out of you uh although if you're a consultant or even you know someone who hires programmers you may want to stick around we're going to talk about the value of well-written code and whether or not it matters uh, I'm going to start this out though by relaying a a, a, a story. Right, uh, early on in, in my programming days, um, I had written a couple programs and they worked. You know, they're 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 functional. They they get from point A to point B. You push a button, something happens. Right, that's kind of the whole idea behind control. You know, you push a button, something happens. You walk in a row, into a room, something happens. Um, and I was, uh, the people that I was working with, they, they had to take my code and do some stuff with it. And they, they had some questions. And granted, it wasn't the most eloquent uh, code in the world. But again, it worked. And so I was talking with, with one of the program, program manufacturers. And I asked, I asked them a question. I said, you know, should I be doing this or this or this? And, you know, nomenclatures and you know, this, that, and the other. And, and they, they responded by saying, asking me a question back. They said, does it work? And I said, well, yeah, it works. Well, then it doesn't matter, does it? You know, it's as long as it works. And that was great for my first couple of years of control programming. Uh, but as I have been uh, uh, growing uh, older in this and uh, learning from people like Rich and, and Steve, yes, there is value to well-written code. You know, yes, there is value to having a standard nomenclature, at least within your business, right, making sure that people can can read and, and understand uh, your code, um, Mr. Fergoza has said famously, uh, to me at least, um, if you can't pick it up six months later uh, and read it, then you did something wrong, right? Because even a- as the original author of the code, you may, you know, you, in six months or a year when you pick the same code that you wrote up, it's not going to be the same, right? You're, you're not going to remember it. So uh, Rich, actually, we're going to kick it off with you uh, on this. And then the great question uh, from Steve, is all source code uh, created equal? No. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Never mind. End of story. Yeah. Thank you. And thank Take you care. for coming. That's our show. Uh, <laughs> why, though? Why is not? I mean, why, why does the
0: statement, you know,
2: does it work not work?
0: The um, it, it, it comes down to. E- First, you need to think about your market. Um, you know, if you are sticking with commercial or residential or anything, the first thing that you always have to bring into account is scalability and flexibility. Um, there's two approaches that you can take. You can create kind of a one-off, which is a, what you know, you can call it purpose-driven code, what you were talking about, right? I need it to work. I need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you're contracted for X, Y, and Z, and that's all that's in your budget for X, Y, and Z, well, then, yes, that's that's pretty much as far as you can take it. But as a company, the goal is to be able to take what you did for X, Y, and Z and then be able to use it to propel yourself forward and and it's experience at that point. And if you are efficient or at least you're forward-thinking enough, um, you can learn everything that you've done from the prior project, lay it into the new one, um, and, and give yourself the flexibility so that when you do get, like I was talking about, you know, a call six months, a year, five years. Or in my case, you know, I've had calls... 15 years later, um, where, you know, technologies changed, there's upgrades, there's things that are going on, the client has paid for code at that point, or a, an operating system, and hopefully your goal is, in order to be able to support them, is to be able to come in economically at some point. I mean, you don't want to have to charge somebody for custom development every single time. I mean, you're gonna price yourself out in some instances. So, you know, where does Elegant Code give you the ability? It's, it's, it's a competitive advantage um the more that you can position your code so that it is flexible enough to kind of drop in different programs um you're able to get in get out and get paid uh, and, and the really that we look at is you know how, how can you get paid not only on this one but how can you find a way to get leveraged can you leverage yourself to get paid on the next one without you know absolutely hemorrhaging development time on it Okay, you, you said something
2: there. I want to. I want you to clarify for me because if there are people out there that are just starting in this, or, you know, you you said it helps you be more profitable.
0: How so? Well, whenever you're starting out, um, you've got this kind of delta, this 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 formula that's occurring, and when you're starting out, you're really really peaked up on your what we call NRE you know, non-recurring engineering costs, right? Your development costs. So you are just burning time, and as you're learning, that you can't necessarily pass on to your client. We'd love to, I mean, I you know, subsidized projects are <laughs> yeah. awesome, but you know, that's that's those are few and far between. So you're gonna be spending time as you're learning on the front end, figuring it out. And the goal is as you're figuring it out over the course of the life of the project, however you're putting this program together, you can amortize it over time. So, if you've got, you know, as an example, um, one of the manufacturers has been promising to come out with this um, TV preset program, right? It was supposed to be really simple and integrated and whole thing. After X amount of months, we got tired of it and just said, we're just going to write our own. And so we took that time, put all of our efforts into that, but knowing that for the first client we sell it to, we can't charge them the full amount of our development costs. We knew that we have to be able to spread it out over the life of the projects going forward over the next few years. So when you're starting out and, and, you know, you're a young company or you're a young programmer, I mean, you're just not – you're not as efficient. You're not going to be able to get as much done quickly because you just don't have um, kind of the landscape to be able to to take it all in. Um, So, you know, profitability comes from experience. Experience comes from doing the code. You know, that comes from doing it right, and, and it becomes this cycle. You know, as you get better, as you streamline, as you find ways to do it better, quicker, faster, you're going to make more money, hopefully. And, and, and really, you should always be looking – you should always be asking your question, how can I use this elsewhere whenever you're starting something new? You know, where, you know what's your market? You know, Or if you're an educational – if you're in commercial, if you're in boardrooms, if you're in residential, you should constantly be asking your, your, yourself, how can I use this? And more often, what can I take out? What don't I need? And, and really for younger programmers, that's, that's really the key is, is learning subtlety and elegance in your code, not what you put in but what you leave out, um, and trying to keep it as compact and as nimble as possible.
2: All right, uh, Steve. From your from your perspective and your standpoint, why does it matter? You know, why does the you know keeping this this code clean and and you know making sure that that all the nomenclatures are, are the same or at least you know similar. Um, you know, to to Rich's point, is that really what makes you more profitable in the long run? Uh,
1: yes, that absolutely the case. And there's there's a couple of different ways you could look at it from a developer's perspective. I think the uh, being scalable, being forward thinking. Uh, being able to accommodate changes all those things are are really a necessity in order to to be effective because the what we do is never done it there it's always it's living growing I learned that when I first started this and I never quite understood what that meant until many years later as we got into bigger projects and as as we we had to build on a foundation um, I, I think when you're working in a team, it also is important to have a style and be able to make that style something that's understandable. And um, you know, whether it's commenting, whether it's naming of variables, whether it's the structure that you use, agree upon some way of doing it so that everybody on your team, if they had to troubleshoot your code or needed to step in, or, or if you're collaborating, the there is some way that the, it can be transferred. Um, but the, the, there's we can go on to even talk about um, different programming techniques that may be better than others, too. And, and you know sometimes uh, you know, I've certainly been caught in situations where I've worked on a project uh, in a time crunch, reused something that I had done already, and didn't do a good job of cleaning it up. Yeah. And when you go back and look at it, um, although it may be your style, and it may, may be something you can get back to, you start to see dead ends, or you start to, to to you know start troubleshooting something that really doesn't apply to this project. So so you know one of the things that I would definitely echo is that it you know, having clean code is is important. But but I think we all fall into the trap that 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 isn't isn't always practical I guess is the, is the right word but yeah. uh, but but I uh, you know I, the 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 bigger the project and the and the more um you you're working on on a uh, on, on multiple rooms and so forth yeah I think you really need to start with a good foundation I guess.
2: okay uh David we're gonna bring you in from the consultant side because yeah, obviously consultants a lot of times you are the people who drive uh, you know what programmers see you know you you are. Uh, you are the authors that we take and, and we, you know, we, we create things out of what you say. As a consultant, how do you make certain, uh, how do you write in your language uh, on the specs to make sure that the code is well written or at least, you know, uh, you know it, it's, it's well written, it's understandable uh, from someone other than, uh, other than the original programmer?
3: Right, so well there are a few approaches we take for that but uh, I, I will answer the question i just want to jump back on, on a couple yeah, things that, mm-hmm. that have been mentioned right off the bat um sorry i have to disagree with you with your opening statement um of that that really only programmers should, should care about this okay and if you're yeah a user or a consultant or whoever then, then it doesn't really matter i i, I think that's that's an, an unfortunate um belief In the industry, Uh, and I think we actually need to move away from that and and get people get end users to recognize the value of of well written code. Uh, I think you know when you know what you're getting and you're getting quality and you can see it, I think that that inspires confidence. Uh, You know we all have everyone has horror stories about poorly written code and and the headaches it's caused Um, and, and I think you know, by being able to demonstrate this as a selling point for, for, for you guys or, or for us, um, it gives confidence because, uh, it, and this ties in with the, with the profitability question also because so much time is spent at the end of projects after everything's done getting it to work. And if you put in a little bit more time up front into the development cycle and you understand everything and you code it properly, whatever, you know, again, whatever definition we're using. Um, which is, again, a different discussion. let <laughs> you guys don't worry about that. Uh, That's so much we, we, we don't so much care about. But, but in terms of knowing that you're getting the quality, you know, high-quality code properly written, you know, by industry, best practices, whatever, um, that is so, is so critical on cutting down that end time and that, that debugging time and, and, and having uh, the confidence when you walk into a room that the system's going to do what it needs to do. So when you look at code, you know, what are we trying to do? Obviously, functionality is, is, is the first and most important thing, does it work? But that's, that's a necessary condition, but I would say that's, that's not a sufficient condition. You know, we, we need it to be flexible, as Steve mentioned. We need it to be reliable. Uh, it has to be maintainable and, and, and debuggable. Not that that's a word, but... but no, that, it's a word. But, right. but it's an important feature of, 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 of any code. And, and if we look at, you know, AV, uh, the AV industry and where we do code compared to, you know, modern software engineering out in the rest of the world, you know, software engineering started with like like we started just guys hacking away in their basement you know drinking Diet coke or whatever and 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 it's now a real industry and and there are real rules and, and there are ways to do code properly and 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 I think we, we need to adopt that so that brings me to, to to finally in a circuitous way to answer your actual question <laughs> so what do we do you know we we can we can um, make sure that first of all the programmers are certified to do the job uh again aV. And, and I think I said this last time I was on the show. You know, it's, it's very kind of loose about definitions. You know, Who's an engineer? Who's a programmer? What qualifications do you need, if any? Um, so the first thing we do is make sure that, that whatever product it is, whether it's you know, Crestron AMX or whatever, you know, that you've got the, the, the proper uh, manufacturer certifications, that they're current. Um, you know, I'm I'm an AMX ACE programmer, a Crestron certified programmer, but from you know 2003. So is that relevant today? Probably not, or maybe not, and maybe not enough in, in, in many cases. So uh, that's that's thing number one. Uh, thing number two, and and this is um, again critical, and, and where the role of the consultant really comes in is, is to understand what the needs of the clients are, uh, both the end users, the institution, the the organization, whether it's an enterprise or a school or a campus, uh, getting what they, know, what, what they want and what they expect, aligning the expectations of how far do we need to go with this, um, and then making sure that that's all well-documented and then agreed and uh, kind of well-understood by, by everyone involved. And that way, there's no surprises. Uh, the other thing we do is we set up a, a, a process in, in the specifications to make sure that, that it's not a surprise. So. Um, everything there's a submittal process things get reviewed, things get discussed, things get changed So by the time you actually wheel the racks into the site, everything's already been decided, and at that point it's really just a question of just implementing what's what's already been been, been determined way in advance
2: yeah uh, and actually to to your point about about you know the certification is you know yeah i'm I'm crash on certified but from you know from two thousand. Um, AMX, and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong on this, to, to maintain your ACE, you have to have so many classes a year. Um, and Crestron here recently in the last six months uh, is starting to implement that very same program where, yes, you're, you're Crestron certified. Uh, and then obviously the master classes you go to, you silver and gold and all that stuff. Um, but they're putting into place practices where, if you don't maintain a certain level of education through the Crestron classes, you lose the certification as well. Um, so I, both of those companies, or at least those two companies, I, I'm not mm-hmm. familiar with with uh, you know Control4 and Aurora's um, uh, certifications. But those two companies are at least putting into into place you know mechanisms that at least you have some level of confidence that you right. know You're they're not up to date. For life. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Like like most certifications, you have to to keep it up to date. Yeah, I mean, even the I CTS,
2: think, right? You have every three years, you have to have somebody redo yeah. Go ahead, Steve.
1: No, I, I said I think to, to David's point too. One of the things that would be a good complement to those certifications that they don't necessarily go into are, are best practices and software development. Because I I'll even say as as the owner of a software company, we 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 don't necessarily have set guidelines of best practices that are adopted in, in what we do and, and I think it could be something that of value and I think could be something that that we we, we could learn as a, as a way of, of bringing in some knowledge into into what we do you know it's probably not going to be taught by manufacturers though
2: okay so let's let's bring that in though I mean is is there Steve is there a standard that you know, and, and, and I know what people are going to say about standards. We have too many of them, and we probably do. <laughs> um, but is there a standard that we can put in place um, or at least adopt that says, you know what, this is what good code looks like, right? This is what good code feels like maybe. You know, it's, it's, it, there's so many, you know, uh, button presses where the, the dashboard sure. for control, right, uh, document that Infocom put together 10 years ago now. Said that there shouldn't be any more than three button presses, right? And you have you know, to get to any one thing. Steve, is there is there a way that we can say, you know, this is what good code looks like, or maybe not? But can you tell me what you think good code looks like?
1: I I, I think that we could certainly come up with something, whether it's specific to our industry or or we go outside and and borrow something in terms of if it's line code. I think that there's probably a lot of references that, that we can go and and look at, whether it's something taught in the university or something that we can get as a, a as maybe an association or a or, or a uh, a programmers group um, standard or or or, or, or guideline. Um, but but I, I think that there that would make life a lot better for a. An end user, quite honestly, because then they wouldn't have to worry about who do they go to to write the code, and is it going to be code that they can live with, and something that it, they're going to be able to go to to somebody else if they needed to, and and that person's going or company is going to be able to help them. Um, you know, I, I think that from, from this conversation changes quite a bit when we start looking at it from from the customer's perspective. They they don't necessarily understand all of what we do other than making the system work or maybe they have some experience but they don't necessarily know what it is that they're buying and you you know I was trying to think of a good analogy but you know maybe the difference between you know solid furniture that that's uh, made of wood or something that's that's made of pressed board that you put together you know I yeah. mean they're both their furniture but they but and solve the same uh, need but they're 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 quite different in, in their makeup and and their durability and so forth.
2: Uh, actually, I, I want to get back to that in a second, but I want to I want to bring Rich in and ask him the same question. Um, Rich, what does what does good code look like? I mean, to you. I mean, and, and I will say this: Rich has helped me out, and Steve has helped me out a lot. You know, in, in my learning process, and and more than one occasion, uh, Rich and I have team viewered together, and and he's shown me some of his code. To which my my belt, balls melt and my brain explodes, uh, because there's there's a different um, file structure in residential than there is in commercial, um, and the reason I say that is a lot of times you have one processor, um, or one main program and one specifically um, that the first I think the first time that I that Rich and I connected on this, you know there are several you know there are there are. Folders within folders within folders within fold, you know, and it, it makes sense, right? because that, you've got several different rooms and this, that, and the other. In commercial, I mean, nine times out of ten, you're writing one program for one room, right? You don't have to have that much, that many layers of um, of nesting, uh, to, to steal a phrase. Uh, so, Rich, from
0: from your standpoint, what's what does good code look like? Well, I. <clears throat> Honestly, I think that good code, whether it's residential, or commercial, any of them, it, it's it's good code has structure. It, it has an understandable, repeatable structure. Um, more than anything else, right now and in, in the current climate that we're seeing, good code allows you to actually sell it as a value-added service, as opposed to the free code that's being handed out by the manufacturer. Okay. Um, it, 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 again, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, it's it's. Um, you know, we, Steve and, and, and David and I, I mean, we, you know, we all started in, you know, 90s, you know, or, or you know, even before that. Um, it was far more of a, it was a, it was a much smaller club of, of control systems programmers at the time. Um, it, was, it was extremely specialized, you know. We were using tools that we were making it up as we went along. Um, and so at that point, the programmer... Um, you know, fit a very specific need because the manufacturer wasn't necessarily providing the tools, and we didn't have the technology to push it out yet. Um, fast forward to now, and and i said it a couple of times on several shows, um, from a business standpoint, if you are not actively looking how to write good code as a software developer, not as a programmer module put-it-togetherer, um, you're not going to be in business long. Yeah. Um, and more so than ever, um, even if you're a one man shop, or if you got you know ten, fifteen coders in there, even if you're an integrator with with programmers on staff, um, you need to start. And and David pointed it out exactly, which was there are rules, there are software development rules, and, and they are established rules. And the manufacturers that we're working with are actually, although they're not using. The software development tools that are currently out there for the rest of the uh, technology sector—they're trying to bridge the gap. They're—they're—they're they're, mm-hmm. they're yeah. giving us, you know, interim tools that bridge it from their compiled machine-level code to, you know, a JavaScript enabler or you know anything that's out there, command-line code that happens to be out there. And so that progression is happening, and, and sooner or later we're we're going to hit that. There will be a tipping point where they just. In order to survive, we're going to have to work more like the rest of the existing technology world that's out there. Um, but, but from you know a standpoint of you know what does good code look like? Good code is what makes you money today, what makes you money tomorrow, and it's it comes from looking at the existing successful infrastructures that are out there and applying those models to yourself Um, with residential you know we've had a way of doing it for years and years and years and years but that was based on a very specific set of software tools that we were given you know whether it's AMX, Crestron, anybody that's out there but now you look there's a whole lot of different players and a lot of them are, you know, it, it's kind of picking from a menu. You know, even the manufacturers that we have now, right? You know, you buy this processor and you plug in a touch panel and six buttons later, it's auto-configured itself. It's a conference room. Yeah. Eh, you know.
3: But, but at the same you know, time, it almost doesn't matter if, if you're writing you know, hand-coding assembly language or, or using some advanced uh, drag-and-drop uh, environment or object-oriented or functions or mainline or whatever it is. There's still, there's still rules There there's still a, a, a way to do things properly and it almost it's, it's, almost, it's really in, in my mind, you know it, it, uh, on a higher level, independent of the exact language you're using, independent of the design environment, whether it's DOS or Windows or whatever. there's ways to do code and, and these are well known and, and again the IT world, the, the software development, software engineering world, I mean, this is stuff that goes back you know decades. Um, you know my, my, my first job out of, out of college was, was designing control systems for uh, industrial equipment. These are big, you know, 54-inch saw blades. And when you hit that emergency stop button, you needed that thing to stop right then and there or someone's arm was gonna get ripped off. And so there's ways of defining things that are mutually exclusive. So the saw blade can't be on and off at the same time because that would just make it explode. And, and there's ways to write code that, that do things like that. And and mission-critical uh, environments have lots of rules about testing code. And the AV industry for, for a long time just rejected all. All of that I think we're starting to come around but but not even by choice it, it, it's it's uh, someone mentioned a few minutes ago about you know how in the commercial world it's, it's, it's one piece of code or one program per room and we're we're that was true for, for a number of years but that's just not the case anymore we're, we're talking about um, building wide integration we're talking yes. about smart building technology intelligent building technology energy management you know um, BMS uh, scheduling Fusion, asset management, all of these other other uh, systems that that are tied in. It's a very different type of integration than just you know pressing play in a touch panel and having the VCR uh, hit, hit play. We're, we're not we're not talking about that anymore because um, that's all kind of commoditized now. I mean, you don't really
0: need uh, custom software for that.
3: So and, and, I think the, the environment we're in, we, we, we have to take this stuff uh, seriously.
0: I agree, and I'm, I'm with David on it. And and one of the things that's happening is that you know we've We've had a way of doing things, you know, for 15 years, and we are moving away. You know, we're we are wholeheartedly embracing um, the software development tools that are out there that allow us to just toss aside the existing tools that we've had for 20 years. Um, Because, uh, like David was saying, is that it's 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 about looking at something bigger. It's it's about looking at you are providing the service. You're you're you know, it goes back to integration, true integration, right? You are the conduit between the user and the technology. They don't care. So your job is to be is to get to get that information relayed in, in as streamlined a manner as possible. And and uh, I you know I'm I'm with David 100% is yeah you know we we've been spoiled. You know we we, we got to do it our way just because because there was nobody else who was going to do it. It's not the case anymore. Yeah. You know I mean just look at any Kickstarter that's out there you know, um, it, it, we've talked about it, is that 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 it is no longer a closed loop where we can just say, yeah, well, nobody's going to come in and take over this market. You know, it's too complicated. Nobody wants to do it. And that's not the case. You know, chips are getting cheap and people are finding ways to operate in the software as a service model. And, you know, as we become less and less hardware reliant, good code equals money, equals, you know, you're, you're still in business and, you know, from the manufacturer, from you know, the the specifier from the people who are buying it, they're all questioning it. I mean, they're you know, we're, these are not dumb people who are looking at these contracts and looking at these budgets and are just looking and saying, you know, well, why does it cost this much? Well, because it does, and and just go, okay. Um, you, you know, we're, they're, the end user is becoming so much more technologically savvy that it is the professional responsibility upon anybody who's working on a project to, to – before we're thinking, you know, and, and like we were just talking about, you know, instead of purpose-driven code, like they was saying, you know, it's not about pressing play on a VCR, not even close, you know, it is exactly about that, it is about environmental conditions, you know, power consumption, all of these other things, who's in the room, you know, from residential, we, we follow the same the the same rules at that point, and it's, uh, you know, you know what's good code, like, you know, I think David, I'm going to paraphrase, David is like, don't be lazy, you know, that's that's what it comes back to, you know, what, what makes good code, it's not being lazy about it, and a lot of times we get into the well we got the budget and we gotta get this done and the deadline and everything else but
1: you're always going to have a deadline I would also say one thing that adds to it too is really understanding <laughs> what it is that you're doing and, and not kind of figuring it out on the way uh, along the way so if, if you if you have a clear understanding and picture and you're able to, to define most of the parameters of your project I think that you're going to end up with better written code rather than going in half halfway and figuring out what the client wants, or what it, what the, what the the real uh, bits and pieces of the spec are, while you're writing your code, <laughs> and I think that 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 usually ends up in in, in creating a little bit of chaos <laughs> within the code because you are you you are you're you're not planning, you're writing it as you go, and yeah. you're adding stuff and testing it, and you're 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 not able to look at that bigger picture, and and uh, you know, I, I think. Unfortunately, we all, we all fall into that pattern at times, but, but the more we have the more that we, we can define up front or, or you know the, I think the better chance we have of having code that's going to be more sustainable.
0: If, if your code can't be drawn out on a giant whiteboard where you've thought about all of the things, then you're not doing it.
3: That part comes first. You know, first you sketch it out, you, you have your layers. It's, you know good code obviously should be modular. And you have different abstractions. So you've got a black box that does the specific things. You define its inputs and outputs. Once you've written that, that you put to the side, and then you move on to the next thing. What you see so often in, in poorly written code is, is when, when those levels get get blurred. And and so when you change a VCR model or a projector model, you can't just change. You can't just swap out that module. You now have to change six other things. So I, I, I'll I'll kind of um, go back to something that, that Rich said a couple minutes ago about don't, don't be lazy. I disagree. My whole philosophy about working in general, as is, is an engineer, is, is to be as lazy as you possibly can. And how do you be as lazy as you possibly can? You do it right, and you do it once, and 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 then you don't have to revisit it, because real laziness is is you put the planning in, you sketch everything out, you decide what you're doing, and then you just and then you do it properly, and you do it. And, and then you can only, you only, you only have to do it once at that point. So, well, that's being organized.
0: <laughs> Be, being lazy is going, oh, let's get the band together. Let's get the band. <laughs> that's know. being sloppy. That's being sloppy,
2: which is <laughs> Okay, now we're parsing, all right? Lazy, <laughs> sloppy, organized. <laughs> but...
3: But but I, th- I think the point's clear regardless of what what you call it, um you know but by 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 putting a little bit of of, of planning upfront, um you can save yourself a huge amount of hassle on, on on the back end and and I think that that ultimately uh benefits the client and it benefits the developers too because you're not you're not squeezed at the end, you know, working until three a m when they've got a big board meeting the next morning. amen
0: brother uh, and 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 also i think they would say it is that is that yeah, it's yeah. being lazy is is making sure that you can um. You can be proud of your code, but you're not overconfident with your code. You got to be willing to beat yourself up. Huh? You got to be willing to just constantly look and say,ing, you know, I'm doing this wrong. I, I I'm flat out doing this wrong. I can do better. And how do we do it better? A lot of times, it's like, well, you know, we got to be done by Tuesday. It, it, I've been guilty of it myself. We all have, which is like, yeah, it's done. You know, it's good enough. We'll get it on the next one. You know, I mean it. But you know, you keep getting it on the next one. You keep getting it on the next. One. You never do, and it just it builds It steamrolls until you've gotten to this point where it's just like what just happened to us you know and then you're spending all your time trying to finish a job and you can't because you painted yourself in that corner yeah
2: let let me bring up something here that's it's you know this show is not anything if not you know uh we're not afraid of controversy and um i'm gonna bring up a a subject that may or may not step on some toes we're going to start with david though as as the consultant and we'll bring in the programmers at the end here David, Is as a this con-
0: about somebody's party not being at Infocom again? Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, no, you know what?
2: We haven't made fun of Extron in a long time. Um, actually, I, did I tell you guys? That, no, I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, as a consultant, I'll just ask it this way. What are your feelings about using a wizard? Right, Because everybody has one. Right, Crestron has one, AMX has one, Extron has one. Yeah, everybody has a wizard, and if you don't know what a wizard is, is in the control world, it's it's a standalone program nine times out of ten um, where you it's, it's even a step beyond, you know, um, a, a graphical user, you know, a graphical programming or object-oriented programming. It's, it really is kind of a drag-and-drop. I have this processor, I have this DVD player, and, and I have this uh, projector. Kind of what a wizard is, it, ste- it steps you through the process and you hit a button at the end and it creates the code, right? It writes the code for you and then you upload it to the processor. David, as a consultant and as someone whose who's your job is to get the client, uh, you know, good working program and exactly what it is they're looking for, what are your feelings about, about programmers using wizards? All
3: right, so um, I, I call them configurators. Okay. That's the technical term for them, but uh, the distinction that I make is between you're, you're configuring something that's within a fixed structure. Uh, there's frameworks already there and you can customize it for the application, but it's not, you're not custom writing code. You're not custom writing the application. You're typically not uh, custom creating the, 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 the GUI, uh, the user interface, the, the experience of either using it, operating it or programming it. Um, you're, you're, you're stuck within that thing. So for uh, simple systems, um, that may be fine. Uh, and I think we, we talked last time about how, you know, you, if we have a, a simple, real simple, small, you know, meeting room, uh, with $5,000 worth of equipment, we don't want to spend $10,000 developing the software to control it. Yeah. Uh, so in that environment, it, it makes sense. Um, in a complicated room, uh, or complicated system, um, they tend to not work so well because, because they're limited, because they've, they've all, all the choices are built in and you're just kind of checking the box, um, okay, one projector or two, and the functionality there is, is kind of built in. So if you check two projectors, how does the audio work? Does it follow the last, does it do both? Whatever whatever it is, it is what it is, and, and you typically can't change it. So that may be okay, that may not. It tends to break down for, for, for more complicated systems. Um, these tools have been around for a while. They started coming out at least 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and the, the first ones r- were quite rudimentary. Obviously, as, as things progress, they, they become more and more sophisticated. On the other hand, um, the systems are becoming more and more sophisticated as, as we've been talking about in terms of what the expectations are and what 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 a modern AV control system needs to do needs to interface with. It, it's really difficult to to get all that into a configurator. So I, I think to, to answer your question, the it, it has yes, they do have. Um, Utility, they, they, they do make sense in certain cases. But that has to be really clearly defined. Again, this is you know, from the consultant perspective. It has to be a conscious decision. It has to be uh, something that, that you have to make sure that, that the solution matches the uh, application, um, matches the need of, of what we're trying to do. Just like everything, every other technology choice that, that, that we make, uh, this has to be a conscious choice. It can't be that, that it goes out and, it, and, and then um, downstream the programmer decides, oh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go watch the game, so I'm not going to write a code. I'm, I'm just going to use this configure it that yeah. that, that, can, that happens sometimes and, and, and that that I think is a mistake but but it, like any tool it's, it's, it's got its place. it's got to be used uh, appropriately.
2: Okay uh, Mr. Greenblatt, from your standpoint, uh, what are your feelings about configure we'll, we'll use David Word con- configurators?
1: Um, I I would agree that it has its place, Um, but but, one of the things that I would say would be a good rule of thumb is that the system should be small enough that if you needed to, you could start over to reprogram it because more than likely, modifying something like that is probably going to be a lot more complicated and and, and making changes and, and being able to do but once you step out of the boundaries and and or the limitations, that that's that's where that solution I think really weakens. But if if it's a small enough system and if it if it's if the if, if it fits the need in terms of a budget and the client is aware of it, then I, I think that that it, it is something that that that's feasible i mean i think we'd all love to be able to click a few buttons and press some things and have beautiful code come out that that runs our system but 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 i think in reality we all know that there that, that that we have to be able to satisfy what the customer asks for at the day that they're ready to sign off and be able to make those little changes and, and customization and and something like that i th- i think it, it could could end up be, could end up biting you if it isn't explained up front that that that's the route that's being taken, you know, to, I guess I, it, so in, in summary, you know, it, it, a lot of what I'm saying uh, is uh, consistent with what, what David's saying as well.
2: Yeah, And I guess maybe that's where, where, where I come from is is making sure the client knows and understands that that's what's yeah. happening. So, uh,
0: Mr. Go ahead. I was just go, 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 go. go. I was saying, you <laughs> okay. know, configurator, they're the fast food of automation. There we go. No, it's true. I mean, if you think about it, right? You know, I mean, you're if you're shopping from the 99-cent value meal, right? You don't ask how the nuggets are made, and you also don't go in, and you also don't. It's a pink slime. Haven't you seen Facebook? Pink slime. They don't ask you if you want your, you know, your cheeseburger medium rare at the fast food restaurant, right? You know, you get the cheeseburger, you get the nugget, that that, and and you pay for it, and and that's where your expectation is. Um. And that's kind of how we explain it at that point, which is, hey, look, everybody's bought fast food. You know, fast food—it's sustenance. It'll work. It'll get—you know—it'll get in you. There'll be some nutrients. It's not necessarily what you wanted, but you know, it'll get the job done. And and the configurators will do that. They're you know, they're, they're, they're they, there's the menu. You know, here you go, pick from this, and you want to supersize that sucker. All right, well here you go, and and you get it, and you get out, and it makes sense. But just like David and Steve were saying, is that as long as the end user is educated to say this is it you know there there is no special order uh you know at this point there is no painting outside the lines of this and and if you have decided and we have agreed that you are not going to deviate from this which they'll always go oh yeah yeah that's always going to be like that never happens you know <laughs> once they've used it because half the time they've never had the system to work with so they don't, they don't know, you know. There's that saying is that you, know, you don't know what you don't know when you're starting out. And, and that comes from the education standpoint, which is if after you've fully educated the end user and you've done all of your due diligence and you've made sure that everybody's on board on what the system won't do and everybody's cool with it, rock on. you know? Get in, get out, get a couple of clicks and save ass. Um, if the goal is to be a technology partner – and to be looking after the best interests of the client if they have growth potential you know again there's that big qualifiers there's a big if in there from the qualification standpoint but if there is going to be a growth pattern or a change or they may be seeing something coming down the line that's outside of what this thing can do then it's upon you you know to write good competitive code and and you know, we we do that. We we have a tiered approach with with clients, which is, you know, here's something that is going to be comparable to the configurator wizard that you're seeing. That, you know, this this brand new thing that's splashing and and, um, you know, it rhyming with ring. <laughs> you know, here's what you got, um, and and yeah, that's cool. You know, kind of works. Awesome, but chances are you might be used to a little bit more, and here's what we do, and, and so here's what's comparable to it and, and fits within this, or let's show you something cool. And then when people look and see, oh, well, if these are my choices and this actually is closer to what I want, even though I haven't lived with it, then people make educated decisions. I mean, it, it, it comes back to, again, it's, it's the configuration tool, if they understand what it does and what it doesn't do, and they can live with it, you know, they're still writing the check. So I'm not going to argue with somebody who's paying me at that point. You know, I, if I've done everything possible to make sure that they're making an informed decision and they say, yeah, this is all I need, yeah, I'll let them. You know, it's, it's fine. You know, you, you move on to the next one. Um, but it's, it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of that professional responsibility to make sure, do you understand what you're getting into? Any the, color you want
3: yeah. as long as it's black. I'm sorry? Any color you want as long as it's black.
0: That's exactly Thank it. Thank you, right. Henry Ford. <laughs> um, Very nice. You know, and, and you know, for, for developers who are starting out, yeah, you know, why is it good? Because you can crack open the code and look at it and look and see how they've done it and, and find ways how to, you know, streamline your process and, you know, whatever you feel that you can do better. I mean, because everybody looks at everybody's code and goes, I could do better. Well, here's the, <laughs> oh, I I mean, So let, let, me, let me crack on that for a second, because I
2: did that, right, in my first couple years of, of programming. I couldn't make hetero tail. That that code was so bloated coming out of a configurator. That, you know, and it, maybe it was me, right? Uh, you know, but they did, you know, 15 or 16 different, you know, symbol just to do a simple, you know, DVD press or whatever it was at the time. Incredibly bloated. That's I guess that's where I you know, I'm going to disagree with all three of you. I think I don't think anybody should really ever use a a configurator because don't like because, that's the because, of you because of you the Not to use it. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Go ahead, David.
3: <laughs> I was just saying that you know, compared to where they were, the the ones from ten years ago that, that we all you
2: know. And maybe they that's from, it. Yeah. That that's
3: like it. The, the The modern batch are are, are are much better. They're they're finally to the point where where I would say they are usable for for certain applications. Okay. The, the old the ones were were pretty much useless.
2: Yeah. See, you I know, haven't if I if haven't done buy, it in a few if years. We've
3: got five sources. In other words, if you had a choice of up to six sources and you only chose three, they would—you know—they wouldn't even group the buttons together. we just there would be holes yeah. in the buttons. You know, it was—they're very rudimentary, very, very limited what what they could do. And, and yeah. they, they have come a long way, and I think again, as software develops, as technology develops, it will continue to get better. But with all the expectations, I think there's still going to be a, a, a need for for what we all here do.
1: I'll agree with what Tim said, though the source code is definitely not something that you want to be getting into i think you probably do do yourself you, you'll do more harm than good if you start getting into configurated code code written code oh
2: uh, yeah
3: no if it's, if it's configurated code you're, you're you're not touching the code that's that's the whole
1: that's, <laughs> yeah, the, that's whole the whole point thing. <laughs> i mean it, one of the selling points though early on was the fact that it writes the code and then you can go in and customize it and modify it and you, you probably could but it but it, it's that's that's not where you're going to get any efficiency yeah.
2: No, no, agreed. All right. Hey, we agreed on something. Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love this joke because we hardly ever do that. Uh, you know what, guys? That's going to do it uh, for us for this month. Uh, there's a couple things we didn't hit on that, that we might want to revisit this in, in a month or two, Steve. So um, sure. with us has been, of course, uh, David Barnett from the Sextant Group. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank where, you for having me. Where can people find you or the Sextant Group?
3: Um, you can find us uh, on our website, uh, Um You can email me, dbarnett, at thesexandgroup.com. And um, those are probably the, the two best ways.
2: All right. Also with us is Mr. Richard Fergosa from Fergozadesign.com. Thank you, sir. Uh, Richard, our Fer- Fergosa. Right, there are R. still for- people that listen to this <laughs> podcast, so, so speak, brother.
0: You're yes. Using sign language. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, That's You can find me at FregosaDesign.com. Uh on the interwebs. You uh, can type in my name. Sometimes stuff pops up, but probably the easiest way is uh, follow me on Twitter at rfrigosa.
2: And are you uh, are you uh, ho- helping the folks at CE Pro for CES?
0: I will not oh. uh, be at CES unfortunately this year. I had an offer I couldn't refuse, and so I will be um, in some I dillick beach area on the east coast during that um, drinking a lot of coffee and not sleeping much
2: wow okay the wait a minute the beach in the east coast like the southeast coast in january is up here too no oh, never mind well, I know, but I'm thinking about being on a beach in, like, you know, Maine uh, in January. I'm going to be in the
0: Hamptons. Oh,
2: you're going to, the Hamptons. Be to be the Hamptons in winter, which is like the worst. I was going to time. say. I mean, you uh, an offer you couldn't refuse. I'm not sure if I would qualify it quite. You know, maybe you shouldn't refuse, but I don't know. Anyhow, all right. Uh, and last but not least, Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you. Uh, you can reach uh, my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net, and uh, I reach me on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, those types of things, uh, at Steve Greenblatt, and. Uh, little thing that we're doing is put together a community for technology managers. So any technology managers interested, uh, check out tech We just put up a new website and it's going to be uh, a way for technology managers to interact, share experiences, knowledge, and so forth yeah. and, uh, free for everybody to join. Yep.
2: And you and, uh, and our buddy, uh, Mark Lovecchia, uh, just put up a new, uh, a new podcast for that. So, uh, check that out, if you would, please.
1: Um, yeah, we're having a little fun with it. It's always good to 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 uh, talk with Mark. He uh, keeps me entertained.
2: I can see that. That's
1: <laughs> all I'm going to say.
2: Uh, don't follow me, because at this point in the season, I'm grousing about the fact that the Bears have no direction whatsoever. But... Uh, you can go by the website avnation.tv. Avnation.tv, you'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, it's Christmas time, and uh, we partnered with our buddy uh, Hi-Fi Phil Cordell to, uh, to bring you a, a very interesting uh, holiday video. Uh, Phil came up with an AV sweater song. Uh, Advanced AV and, and, and John Green and Chris Netto and a bunch of folks uh, came up with this crazy idea about a, about a month ago a bunch of AV professionals posted on, on social media pictures of themselves in holiday sweaters. Uh, so couple that with Phil Cordell and, and and his singing and rapping and holidays and yeah, so check that out if you would please, uh, that's there. And uh, got a bunch of stuff coming up uh, the first part of, of next year, so just stay tuned to that. We've got a newsletter, check that out. Uh, if you haven't signed up for it, it's on the website there on the front page. So avionation.tv avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been a State of Control.